Hello and welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I am your host, Miguel, joined here today by, as usual, Charlie and Haley, and a special guest, our very own Issa Adney, who is here to talk to us Yay, Issa. today about some fun stuff. We're going to be talking about, specifically, about deciding if pursuing education is right for you. It's something that she has a little bit of experience with, so excited to get into that. Just a tad, but uh, how, how's everyone doing? Doing good. Good. I'm recovering a little bit. I, I said this on the pre-podcast. I'm recovering a little bit from being out last week. So if I sound a little bit more not like, I don't know, like Kermit the Frog, please, I apologize in advance. <laughs> or if you hear any sniffs, you know it's coming from me. Yeah. If you- <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm getting ready to move. So I'm very excited because this beautiful background will be captured. You know, this is the last time I will do something. This gets taken down today. I'm going to oh take God. a piece and frame it, though, and then put that up in my next place. Well, this was that idea. by Bonnie Christine, by the way. Uh, she's a ConvertKit creator who I did a story on, and uh, she partners with a company that licensed her beautiful work. So this this background means a lot to me. So I'm glad we got it here today. And for audio listeners, let me just give a quick visual picture for you. There's this beautiful, like dark floral background behind Issa. There's pink flowers. There's a neon sign that says Inspire. I mean, you should just head over to our YouTube channel and check out the, the video version of this show so that you can see it. But yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about it because it is pretty cool. So for those of you who are listening on audio, find us on YouTube just to look at this thing because it's pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> or go to bonniechristine.com and you'll see all her beautiful designs. That's true. Well, there we go. <laughs> I'm literally Googling Bonnie Christine right now. So <laughs> it's Ooh, Bonnie with an IE, go- by the way. Yes. Oh, I love her stuff. Very cool. Okay. Well, while Haley continues to do some online shopping, <laughs> we can roll right into our first segment, which is Have You Heard? And since I'm already speaking, I will kick it off. (laughs) So my have you heard is uh, YouTube is adding live rings to their avatars for live streams. So essentially, it sounds like it's, once again, them correcting for market disruption with like things like TikTok and, and Instagram. It's very similar to like when you see somebody's picture light up with a circle around it, it means, oh, there's like a story or something to see there. Well... They're doing it with their live streams. They're going to do some interesting stuff with it. So they'll allow channels to either pre-roll ads before a live stream, mid-roll ads that can be manually inserted during live streams, which is, I think, interesting that if something's live, but then you're just going to watch an ad real quick and then go back to live. I'm not sure how that works exactly. And then overlaying ads that can appear during the programming, which we're probably pretty used to with YouTube. I like this as someone who live streams on YouTube, the ring to show people when I'm live, that's what I wish they had. So that if someone's watching one of my videos, then they see that and know, oh, I should go over to her channel and like watch because she's live right now. I like that. And the ad stuff is definitely playing catch up with Twitch because on Twitch you can take ad breaks and play an ad for your audience while you, I don't know, go to the bathroom, grab a cup of coffee, something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that they're following suit there. It's funny, just as you were saying that, one of our one of our people in our chat, Furquan, was saying that, yeah, Twitch is kind of weirdly ahead when it comes to live streaming. Mm-hmm. You'd think YouTube would be at the forefront of something like that, but, or even like Facebook Live 
or something like that. But I mean, do we really expect Facebook to be? Sorry, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that I don't trust myself live streaming, but then I was like, but I'm on a live podcast right now, so you're doing it right now. Yeah, <laughs> you're literally doing it right now. I know. Okay. Oh boy. Well, can we roll right into my piece of news because oh. it's also from a perhaps a company that you wouldn't expect to be keeping up with the times. Um, that's my connection. LinkedIn is launching its own podcast network. I feel like, I don't know about you, but I've seen people talking about LinkedIn as a creator platform more and more recently, like yeah. people are posting articles over there and things and like becoming LinkedIn influencers, which to me is wild. Cause for me, it's definitely like where I separate the professional from the personal, like creator side of my life. Mm. But yeah, they're launching a podcast network. There's going to be 12 shows to start with presented under like LinkedIn presents as the name. So watch this space, I guess, for LinkedIn trying to come in and be a content disruptor. I've actually seen, okay, so there are a couple things on LinkedIn. Now you can have a creator pro, I think it's called a creator profile where you have followers versus mm -hmm. like you're connecting like on a business side of things. Your network. Had we talked about this before? Maybe, I don't know. I don't remember if we talked about it here, talked about it somewhere else, but so that's for LinkedIn. And then also on LinkedIn, I saw a really beautiful ad that they did actually profiling like what the professional person looks like today and why creators are professionals and why there is a presence needed for them on LinkedIn. And I thought it was great and awesome and how it's also a place where other professional companies can go seek out creator professionals. I don't know. I'm kind of into it. I kind of like it. Okay, for me, I guess I'll go. I guess it's my turn since Charlie jumped the gun there and, you know, <laughs> step, went out. Sorry, gee. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Miguel, I dropped the link actually in our chat if you wouldn't mind dropping the full link to this article. But here's just a little uh, quick piece of data. An online course platform, Podia, many of you are probably familiar with it, had put out some data saying that the number of creators earning more than $1,000 in a month is growing 20% each month, while the average number of customers per creator is growing at a rate of 10%. Likewise, on Teachable, also another very well-known course platform. Friend of ConvertKit. <laughs> yeah, friend of ConvertKit. The average price point per class offering has risen roughly 20% year over year. And in 2019, nearly 500 teachable courses creators made more than $100,000 of those 25 averaged more than $1,000 per sale. And so the the article um, that Miguel just dropped, one of the really interesting things that I think that they talk about and which we've talked about on the podcast is a thousand true fans mm -hmm. working, you know, had paying a hundred dollars over the course of the year versus 100 true fans paying a thousand dollars over the course of a year, right? So bigger ticket items. And can you make it as a creator having a very, very small audience, but selling these big ticket items? So it was a really interesting like cool, just like frame of mind as far as what you need to be a successful creator. And um, I thought it was a, a great article, but it just shows how much the creator economy is taking off and like how people's audiences continue to grow. It's interesting the rate of the um, earnings growing compared to the rate of uh, customers growing and how they're different. Yeah. Because it means that people are, yeah, just like charging more for things, I guess. And like, honestly, everyone listening who's listened to the past few episodes will know that I'm about to shout out the survey that we're running at the moment, the Creator Economy <laughs> Survey. Yes. We're getting these stats right now. Um, we're collecting all these through through the survey. So if you like cool data points like Haley just shouted out, please go fill out the survey. It's at convertk.it slash survey hyphen 2022 
tell us about your creative business, how it was over the last year, your plans for the next year, because we're looking forward to having these data points to share with you all so we can all learn from it in the future. Okay, I'm gonna get off my soapbox now, Miguel. We can get on with um, <laughs> But real quick, I wanna make sure we hey, point if, something hey, out. But seriously though, wait. No, me. Oh, me, dude, I just. Me, I'm hosting. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you have done that that survey already, throw in like a comment in the comment saying you've done it. Ooh, yeah, I love that. Sound off in the live chat. Yeah, sound off in the live chat if you've done it. If you haven't, we can come harass you then. <laughs> yeah. What I wanted to say about it before we move on is that this isn't just something that you're not doing ConvertKit a favor by doing this. And it's like, this is doing everybody a favor because these are results that we share. It's not just like some like the information that we gather and we're like, ha ha ha, now we have this treasure trove of information. <laughs> it's, we share it with the community at large and we yeah. glean insights from it and share it with other people because it is beneficial for us to keep our customers and creators informed about these kinds of things. So we all win. So it's not just like, for us. So it's only as good as people who contribute to it. So contribute mm -hmm. if you want, if you can. Thank you for joining me on my soapbox, everybody. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, without further ado, let's get into our topic today, which is talking to Isa about specifically about education and uh, what kind of I really want to talk about education as a whole. I said many times I used to be a teacher. So my relationship with education is uh is kind of near and dear to me. So I'm interested with Isa, before we get into the why and all that, I think everybody would like to know a little bit about just kind of your journey a little bit and get a little background of what, you know, what you've accomplished as a creator and what kind of led you to the point where you are now. Yeah. So I, I'm a big school nerd. <laughs> I love school education, you know, in general. So I literally, when I was 16 years old for Christmas, I asked for seven habits of highly effective teens. In high school, <laughs> I graduated good grades, but my family didn't have a lot of money. So I went to community college. And after that, I got a scholarship that paid for my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, which is in education. And so that really transformed my life. I wrote a book for community college students. And so what I saw in that time of my life was I also became a SAT tutor in college. And that was the first time I really understood because I grew up in an area where pretty much everyone was like lower middle class. I saw kids SAT scores getting higher by money, like duh. But 20, you know, 20 year old Isa, that was a revelation. I had never yeah. been exposed to that. I had no idea that money helped you get into Harvard. I thought you just walked in, you took the SAT score, it told you how smart you were. And then if you were smart, you got went to Harvard. Um, I had no clue how it all actually worked. And so I met a lot of incredible people at community college and saw that community college, you know, had this rap of, oh, if you weren't smart, then you went to community college. And I was in an honors program there. I met some of the smartest people I've ever known. And I saw that, no, most people are in community college because they don't have money, not because they're not smart. And I saw that there was an opportunity there. So that's how I became a creator. I've always wanted to be a writer. So I wrote my first book and that turned into a whole business. So I spoke at community colleges around the country. I consulted with different you know, companies that wanted to reach students and I hosted a TV show. So that sort of um, was a big part of my life. And then I'm sure many creators and artists can resonate with this. I got lonely and I felt like I'd said everything I needed to say on that topic. Mm. When I interviewed a musician who worked on Hamilton and I remember telling him the story and he was like, oh yeah, you just, you finished touring your first album. 
Like he was the first person that got it. No one else I'd ever talked to and really understood why I would walk away from like such a good business that was totally steady and I could have done for the rest of my life. And he got it. And that's how I knew I was, I was an artist and a writer. So I wanted to start over and that's how I ended up finding ConvertKit. I loved its mission that it was for creators. So I started as our webinar producer. And then a couple of years after that, I pitched this idea to start uh, telling our customer stories as a writer and a filmmaker. And that's what I do now. And um, I had just started. The reason why Miguel asked me here is just recently I started a master's of fine arts in creative writing. And I'm also going to do a concentration in film, Ooh. which is so exciting. And like everyone, this is not Issa's first master's either. You should know that. I don't know if you you made that clear, but Issa already has a master's. It, what's your first master's in again? Issa? Master's of education. So MED in training and development. There we go. So Issa's decided to pursue her second master's degree, master's in fine arts while working full time, while already being a creator. Also, Issa didn't mention she's written a whole other book since then, which is like going to be published. You have shared that publicly, right? I've been talking about that for eight years. I've been working on this book for eight years. Good, good, good. (laughs) So she's still a creator, still working full time, and also decided to pursue education and uh, do this master's in fine arts, which is, this is a lot of things. (laughs) Okay. So let's get this straight here for a second. So, okay. Published author. She's got another book coming out working on set, not first, second masters, and you have a steady full-time job here at ConvertKit, and you're a creator. So why would you want to go back to school? I guess is my, like, the most <laughs> obvious question. Like, it seems like you've got a lot going for you. You've got a lot, you've got a lot to, you know, kind of grind on for a while. So where does this idea of, you know what, I want to get more education. How does Issa come to that? I love that you asked this because um, it's so relevant to where the creator economy is today because we have access to so much education. Like high, formal education is not the only option anymore. And I think that's fabulous. And so I have taken full advantage of that. I signed up for Masterclass when it was just Christina Aguilera and Usher on it. And I, I, I watched the Usher one to learn performance strategies that I could take with me to webinars. You know, I should have danced more on those webinars. Um, <laughs> didn't. Um, but I have, I've been absorbing all of that ever since. So and grad school is something I, I really put a lot of thought into this. So I was really happy you were curious about it because it's something I did think a lot about and something really relevant to creators because I, as our storyteller at ConvertKit, I've told a lot of stories of creators and there's quite a few that I've told like um, Dan Runcie, right? He got an MBA and that MBA has directly related to how he's making a living as a creator right now. He looks at hip hop culture and uh, the business men and women there and dissects it from an MBA perspective. And it's it just blew up because it's he's brilliant and he'd be brilliant without the MBA, but having an MBA, it helps. And that's actually where he got his inspiration. I just interviewed a story that will come out in a couple of months, uh, Ann Lore of nestlabs.com. She's getting her PhD right now because her master's in neuroscience is how her business started. So there's quite a few creators and there's a longer list that I could share who are making a living full-time as a creator and you know doing courses. And higher education is actually where they got their ideas, where they learn what they now teach. So I think it can be a really interesting option. But it has to be strategic because you hear a lot now, right? Why would you go into debt for something, you know, when you can learn for free? Henry, our filmmaker, who's brilliant, you know, learned everything uh, he needed to know from YouTube and practice. Mm-hmm. 
And that's phenomenal. Does he need to go to film school? No. Do I need an MFA to be a writer? No. And um, so what was really interesting about this strategic decision for me is this would also be the first education I paid for uh, higher education. I've paid for a lot of education courses and books and things, but <laughs> my master's, all my education up to that point, my first master's was paid for because I got this incredible life-changing scholarship in community college. So to just flat out pay for school and pay that much money, it was a big decision for me. And it was something I had actually thought about six maybe years ago when I was actually making the switch. What am I going to do next with my life? And I knew I wanted to be a writer. And so I applied for MFA programs and I got in. But like when I looked at how much it would cost, I was like, it's not med school, right? There's certain grad programs or schools where it's like you don't have to go. And going isn't like a pathway to more money. Masters of fine arts, you know, most artists, (laughs) they're not necessarily, and it's certainly not something you need. So for me, what it came down to and why it made sense for me at this time in my life is I got to a point as a writer, as a creator, where I wanted to grow in my craft. You know, I'm 34, I'll be 35 soon. I was like, I know I don't know all there is to know. The book that uh, is coming out in a year or two about is about dreams come true. I interviewed people about a dream come true. I've interviewed hundreds of people essentially who have had some kind of dream come true. Many are making a living as a creator and artist. And there's always in almost every story, this phase where they just committed to their craft and to really growing and pushing themselves farther than most people push themselves. And that stuff sticks in the back of your head. And I just had this feeling that I felt comfortable. You know, I felt comfortable as a writer. I felt like so it was it was getting easier and easier. And if you're a real artist, real creator, you don't actually like to stay there too long. You're mm. like, oh no, I want to grow. I want to get better. I've taken every course that I can find. I've read every book, and I still know there's more I could learn. And so I had also been reading a lot of books from the people who were published by the same publisher that I am, and noticing in all their and their books were fabulous. And I noticed in all their bios they had all gotten MFAs. And a couple from the same place. So that was a a note for me too. Like people whose writing I loved and who I thought I I could like learn from, they were getting these MFAs from these programs. And I was like, oh, I tried that six years ago. Let's look back into it again. And what I found blew me away. And I knew I wanted to invest it. Like to me, this is an investment in my growth as an artist, as a creator. And while You know, most people might do an MFA because they want to teach as a professor or they might want to publish like a literary book. That's not where I'm going, right? I want to go and get that level of craft, but then transform it and use it for my job, for business purposes. uh, Because to me, what I was also seeing is, you know, the world of writing is changing. The world of the creator economy is changing. Writing is a huge part of it. And I wanted to see what I could learn and then bring over to this new world. Wow. I love that. I love that. I can totally relate to you in this feeling of wanting to get better at your craft as well. Cause that's why I am still a designer for a job, right? Like I have an audience where I could become a full-time creator if I wanted to, and like be an influencer and earn money just from YouTube and, and things like that. But the craft is still really important to me and I want to keep practicing it and improving it. And honestly, have also thought about doing a master's myself, but I'm not quite at the point where you are yet of like being like, yeah, that's the right thing for me. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be right for you and for that time of your life. And I think it, it's not one of those things that's like, yes, you should do it or no, you shouldn't. You know, it just totally yeah. depends. It was also a time in my life, you know, we've been talking a lot about 
professional creators and lately and and the loneliness that you feel. Mm -hmm. I was just interviewing someone this morning where we were talking about it. You know, I was asking him how he dealt with the loneliness as a creator. And for me, I was also feeling that a lot. Obviously, as a company, we used to get together for retreats, but we had it in two years. I was really feeling that. And I wanted a writing community. I didn't really had have that. I had one or two writing friends, you know, that I was close to. But my gosh, the the program I do is low residency. So we met for 10 days after Christmas virtually, but we'll meet in person hopefully this year. And now I have, I have like quadrupled the amount of writing friends I've had <laughs> um, just in those 10 days. And it has honestly been the best thing I've ever done for myself is how I feel right now. I love that. I love hearing that. One thing I have to say is that I, when I think back to like my college experience or think back to all the things that I learned in college, I can a bit directly apply them to the work that I do, right? If I'm like really reaching and I'm like trying to do that. One of the really interesting things for me when I went back, I did a um, a class. I'm like, when was it? Like six months ago or so through Berkeley School of Music on brand marketing. And the thing that I really enjoyed about that is that while I was working, I was directly applying what I was learning to my work, my active work. So for the first time ever in my higher education, I felt like what I was learning was directly applicable to the work that I was doing as an adult. Whereas how many people do you know who have a college degree who do not use that college degree, that specialty in their full-time job? That M- Miguel, it's a fantastic Miguel's example. Miguel's raising his hand. Yeah. <laughs> so if Miguel went back, right, you know, a lot of what he's doing is on the, you know, the computer, the technology, the engineering side. And if he went back and did some education for whether formal or informal, he's choosing it based off of the career and the job that he wants as an active working contributor adult in your professional career. And that is one of, for me, the coolest things about what you're doing is that when you're 20 years old, you don't know what you want. Most people do not know what they want to do. And which is why I really like your story so much, because I was lucky I got an athletic scholarship. And so I didn't have to pay for education. Right. But had I not, I was in a very similar place to where my dad was a blue collar working dad and my mom didn't work. She stayed at home. So like I, they wouldn't have been able to afford to send me to a four-year college, like a university like that. Community college is so economical. The first two years, they're just prerequisite courses anyway, you know? So like, it's the most economical way to do that. But anyways, I just, when you don't know what to do with your life, going to university is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most irresponsible things that you can do because it sets you so, it sets you up for so much failure in your future. When you think about what are like the three things that you you know, you're not prepared for when you leave school. Like you don't know how to buy a house. You don't know how to handle finances. Right. And I'm like, there's a couple other, you know, things like that. College doesn't actually prepare you to do. Anyways, I was just, you know, I'm thinking like, don't put yourself in debt for something that you don't know that you have any, you have no idea what you want to do. A communications major isn't worth a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Right. If you don't know what you're going to do, which is why I love your story so much, because it's, you're going back and now you're getting a degree in something that directly applies to the work that you want to be doing as, as an adult, which I love. Yeah. So many community college students that I met were much older and had stories about how they actually typically failed high school, like got a lot of F's or failed their first attempt at college. And these were students that I was meeting now older in honors programs, straight A's, you know, and the difference wasn't the intelligence level. It was now they knew what they wanted to do. And now they were interested in what they were doing. And I've always, I've been really lucky in that the school, like the way our America does school 
perfectly aligns with my learning style and my interests and my, so I feel very lucky in that way where I enjoyed the actual process of school and learning. Like I got my master's in learning. So that was really lucky. So for me now, this is the first time in my entire life where not only am I in school, but everything I'm learning is stuff I'm in love with. And it's like, you have this full permission to nerd out and be on other people who like care about the same things you do. And that's really, really affirming because sometimes that can feel, you can feel lost or lonely or feel like, you know, you care too much about something and it doesn't really matter. And it's so affirming to see that, to find a community when you're like, oh no, I'm not alone. And we all care about this. And then we all push each other and you, you grow even more from that. I'm thinking about why you would choose to do like tertiary higher education, the formal kind versus online courses in niches focused on writing, et cetera, where like, I'm sure you can find other people who are interested in writing in the community surrounding them too. But there is some extra level of commitment, right? When it's a formal education, it's a degree, it's a master's. There's a level of expense there of people who are investing in themselves just like you are, right? That you know they're going to be committed and want to be held accountable, want to hold you accountable too as part of that. Whereas, I mean, hands up who's bought online courses that they have not completed or even looked at. No, not me, not me. Yeah, but that's that's exactly what Fraquan said, right? He says the level, it adds a lot of accountability to making sure that you're learning and completing your assignments. Yep. Yeah. And I know for me, the like style of learning, I need some accountability and I need someone to be taking me through the process of things. So that's why university really suited me and why I would consider doing a master's is because of that as well. Such a good point, Charlie. I never thought about it until this moment, but I've taken a million online courses and I never found that sense of community and I'm sure it exists. Okay. You know, I definitely am sure there are course people who do a really good job of this. I just haven't experienced that. Um, And I think a lot of the reason why too, is even when there was a community aspect, you kind of had to do it on your own time. And Mm -hmm. I've never been really great at that. um, And so what's so nice about this program, especially is it is, you know, you do these 10 day residencies twice a year. So like I took off work. And so for 10 full days, I was doing nothing but engaging with this community. This time it was on Zoom. Next time it will be in person in Vermont. And um, I was blown away at how close I felt to people just even doing it virtually. Just it, it puts you in this really cool bubble. If anyone's if you've ever been to a conference that you loved and you have that like intense high, you know, it was like that even virtually. And you're right. It is a different level of commitment. So you're with other people who also said, I care about writing so much that I'm willing to spend or take out loans of tens of thousands of dollars and dedicate a ton of time to this. And it is a different sense of commitment. And I do think it made a big difference in how I connected because they're they're all as crazy as me. Like we're all (laughs) uh, willing to do this and not for money. An MFA is not a thing you do because you're like, this is going to make me a lot of money. And it's people who care deeply about craft and art. And those are things I care about. Those things can make you money if you're at the top 1%. But I think also if you care enough about growth and craft, it's an interesting option to explore. It has to be the right program too. That's a whole other thing. You know, not every program is equal either. Yeah, there's such a direct correlation with the return on investment. And I feel like a lot of the times, like the guarantee that I feel like probably 
you all were probably given as a young adult trying to decide what to do in college is, well, you go to college because then once you finish college, you're guaranteed to have a much better job and you're pretty much set. And if you don't go to college, then your options are limited instead of going straight into the workforce. As somebody who has a degree that they no longer use, my relationship with education has been such that I went back to school to a coding boot camp in Seattle for a three-month intensive course. And those three months were really something special for me because in all the years that I spent in college, never did I really like go heads down into something that I was that interested in and felt so engaged with. And there definitely is something to be said, especially if you're already in your career like you are, Isa, and you're deciding to go back and invest in that career further. The things that you're learning in that can, in parallel, benefit the work that you're doing now here at ConvertKit, I would imagine, or the work that you're doing as a creator. Yep. My first story after the residency was different. I knew it was different. I saw some things that I added because of just even the first 10 days. And so I know that the story I write two years from now is going to be different. And the thing is, the stories I write are really good. I know that they're great, but I want to see them get even better. And I'm the one who needs to push, you know, who wants to push myself in that way. And I'm excited to see that, what that looks like in two years, because I am already seeing a difference. And it's so fun because it puts a different lens when you're learning is you're, you know, you have this other filter where you're also immediately translating it to your life, Mm. to your workplace, to things that could make you money. And so I think that's been hugely helpful and and fun. You know what I'm thinking here is that There's a lot that online course creators can learn from formal education because I feel like normally, I don't know, we've seen online courses as this like fantastic option where you can get all this learning for so much less than like paying an institution for a piece of paper, you know, but there is a lot of positives about formal education that you we don't currently get in most online courses. And so what I'm seeing and like hearing in this as someone who is thinking of making an online course in the future is that the like accountability piece is key of like planning a really good curriculum essentially for your online course and making it as like detailed and coherent as a formal education one is and building a community around it where the involvement is part of the course itself so that people are connecting and making those networking connections, keeping the group small too, probably, because if there's too many people, like thousands of people taking an online course, you can't connect with everybody or know who is the serious ones either. But yeah, I don't know, just food for thought for any course creators listening. That's what's that's what I'm thinking about. You're so right, because when it came to time for me to choose which coding school to go to, there was the online only options. There was teach yourself option where you just sign up and you teach yourself how to code. There was in person, there were hybrid models. I mean, there was all kinds of things. And ultimately it came down to like me soul searching and saying, what sort of accountability structure is necessary for me? And what have I succeeded in in the past? And if it's do it yourself by yourself, I know if I'm being honest with myself, that's not going to work out for me. I'm going to fizzle out. So I was like, I need to be there in person, in with my butt in a chair, in front of a teacher, and surrounded by other people who are there for the same reason in order to succeed. And that was me. It might be different for someone else. But for me, that is the way that I know I learn best and that I hold myself accountable best is with like external factors. So 
if creators can create online courses that can bake in some kind of accountability measures, I feel like they would see a lot more success rates because if at the end of the day, the only person that yells at me for not doing it is me, then I'm just going to, whatever, not care <laughs> if I'm being honest with myself. So I love that thought of thinking about, yeah, what, what do people like or get out of higher education that you can bring into your own course? I think that's a really great lens to look at things from Charlie. And it also makes me think of another thing that drew me to this program in particular. And that was really important to me. It won't be important for everybody, uh, perhaps. But one of the things that I think I hesitated on getting an MFA in writing um, for so long also is I did not see myself represented in that world, in mm. that literary writing, writing world. It is, um, historically white. And I am half Puerto Rican, I'm biracial, and I just did not see a lot of people of color in those programs, leading those programs. And I just wasn't sure if I belonged. And um, this program in particular was led by an incredible, incredible person who was in our talk, like our admissions talk, he talked about how much diversity was important to him in this program and in growing this program. And I saw a lot of the alumni also, there was a lot of diversity there. And that was really important to me. And it also, I think, deeply affected how I experienced the residency. There were special sessions just for uh, BPOC. And it was the first time in my adult life I've ever experienced anything like that. And it was it was really, really transformative. And so I think I think that's something any course creator could consider when sharing testimonials of past creators, you know, and showing if it's a safe space for all people can be really helpful. Love that you called that out. Now, Isa, before we transition out of this segment, I did want to ask you, given your experience and what you're currently experiencing of if for the creators out there who are maybe toying with the idea or flirting with the idea of doing some kind of further education or finding a way to inject some kind of education into whatever it is that they're doing, what advice would you have for somebody maybe like you were kind of kind of flirting with the idea but not quite sure whether to make that choice is what would you say to to that person? I think the best thing to do is look up creators whom you admire who do work that you admire, who or maybe somewhere you want to be. LinkedIn is a great place to sometimes, speaking of LinkedIn, to find those people. Um, you're probably finding those people in your ecosystem already. And do what you can to figure out how did they learn what they know. If, if they're not too far above you, you can ask them. Online courses, that's the hard part. With LinkedIn, you can see what degrees people got. So that part's really easy. If you're trying to find out what other education they've got done, you'll probably need to reach out and ask. But I think that's a really, really the best place to start because for me, it was when I saw not just one, but so many people writing that I really appreciated seeing that they all had an MFA. Like for me, that's when I was like, okay. So I think that is really helpful. And then I also think once you have sort of a sense of where you might want to go, talk to as many people as you can who have gone that route. So for the higher education route, it's really easy because you can look it up on LinkedIn and find a ton of alumni connect, say a message. I've done this my whole life. Um, and you can just say, I'm applying this program. would love to ask you, you know, a question or two, just via email. I'll usually start out about your experience. And most people will say, yes, they, you know, would appreciate talking to you. And so I did a lot of that research for my current program and everyone just had the most glowing reviews. And I, and I could see where they are today. 
And Mm. they were in some good places. There were people working in media in CNN in New York. Like there were people who had book deals and who were publishing work. So that helps too, is you can kind of see that pathway. So I think doing that research is important. That's good advice. I'm sure, Charlie, do you ever get people can try to connect with you and ask you and connect with you on that level? Because I know a lot of people in the design space look up to you and they follow you. And do you get people asking for kind of your sage advice sometimes? Or what do you do with that? Yeah, I get a lot of people asking like how I learn design. Yeah, And I'm always really... I'm careful with my answer because I'm like, yeah, I have a honors degree in design, but I don't want you to feel like me saying that means you have to have that in order to get to where I am today. And I always like sort of give that clarifier as well, especially because the school I went to is in New Zealand and no, it's the top design school in the country, but no one's freaking heard of it outside of New Zealand. So, you know, it's like, well, how relevant is this if I tell you person in Ohio that I went to Massey? Yeah. Well, before we go, there is one last quick segment that I wanted to go over, and that is our listener shout out. And our listener shout out is going to be a little different today because um, it's actually somebody that is in our team. And she, yeah, her name is Elizabeth Sloan. And what she does is something called Remotely Well, which I think is a really clever name. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially a remote wellness program newsletter. So people who work remote, it kind of helps people stay on top of their their wellness, whether it's mental, physical, and sharing everything that she basically shares a lot of the, because she heads this for our company, but she also, this is our way of kind of getting out what we do internally, externally for a guide for for wellness and their whatever it is that they're doing. And you can find you can find her at uh remotely-well.com and uh it's actually she told me it's uh, it's a CK landing page. So it it's a convergent landing page. So go her. <laughs> nice. Way to leverage the job. Nice <laughs> what we always ask our listener shout outs is uh to share something that's uh like a, a win they've had recently. She said that she is up to seven subscribers that she doesn't know personally. So yeah, there's always like mom and your partner or whatever. And everyone on the ConvertKit team. Yeah. Everybody on the ConvertKit <laughs> team. But there's seven people in there. She's like, I have no idea who these people are, which she says that's really small, but super motivating for her. And also her current wellness activity is the most popular one that she's ever done. So things are getting better and better. And it's really rewarding seeing other people benefiting from the work that she does every day. So I just want to call this out, though, because I love that this came out of a need, right? Or more like came out of an experience because she, as Miguel said, she leads this for our team. But because of COVID, so many companies transitioned to remote companies who didn't know how to maintain like health and wellness for their employees, like during this crazy period of time. So when I look at this for Elizabeth, maybe like her core audience is really going to be like, or if she wanted to monetize this, right, let's say down the line or however she decides to monetize this. This is actually the latter example in the article that I shared in my Have You Heard, where she could have a hundred people on her list, but it could be like a high ticket price item. They're paying a thousand, it's like a company that's paying a thousand dollars for a guide to a wellness program for remote companies versus, right, all these individuals. So she doesn't need a big list. She just needs a small list of the right people. I just wanted to call that out because seven people, those seven people could be seven people that work at technology companies that went remote online and all seven of them bought a thousand dollar course for her. That'd be a great conversion rate. But you see my point. I just wanted to call that out that sometimes it's not like the number that matters. It's actually just like 
they're the right people on the list. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that if anyone listening is working at a tech company in like a, you know, the people department, basically, if anyone's responsible for the wellness program, then you should definitely subscribe, check it out or tell your people team about it and get them to subscribe. Because we have a great wellness program and it's led by Elizabeth. So we do. We do. (laughs) All right. Well, before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't mention where you can find Isa, which is at isaadney.com. That's I-S-A-A-D-N-E-Y.com. And you can keep up with her and Hopefully you can get her new book that's coming out sometime. All 2023. All 2023. Mark your calendars. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Isa. This has been great. And I could talk to you forever, but I don't think that Charlie and Haley. Wait, you don't think we want to talk to Isa forever? We have stuff to do? Like, where is this? How's this going to end? See, I don't think you would because then I, I would just ramble forever. And then I don't know. I feel like this is a good place to end the podcast. All right, friends. Wait, we haven't said what we're doing next week. <laughs> oh, sorry, dang it. All right. <laughs> Haley, take it away because you're the host next week. <laughs> oh, well, I um, did not come prepared for this. It's Thomas Doolin. Do you know, have you heard of him? Do you want me to tell you what you're doing next week? <laughs> I Yeah, <laughs> I um, haven't um, got a full confirmation on this yet. Okay, so maybe we shouldn't be announcing <laughs> yeah. it to everybody, but maybe hopefully we'll be hearing from a, a audio producer. <laughs> potentially. Yes, potentially. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the worst outro ever. Thanks everyone for coming. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.